Here we go, hill number three. A desire to be real. Let me give some verbiage to that. We believe the church needs to be a place where people can come and see that Christians are real people, experiencing joys, passions, and struggles. Because of this, we strive to communicate God's word, uh, God's truth, uh, and share experiences in ways that are open and honest. We believe it is important as a community to be honest. Maybe, maybe we get the word community out of there. We believe it's important as a person to be honest about our shortcomings, authentic in our lives, and sincere in what we teach. We want to be humble and express our faith in a way that is genuine. There are things that are so valuable to God, things that he values, things that are just deep and near to his heart. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And let's just go back to truth. If God is the truth, doesn't this have to be the truth? Because doesn't truth go beyond knowing right and wrong to something more deep in the pores of who we are? Are we being true? Are we being real? Are we being authentic, genuine human beings? Because that's what God calls us to be. And I'm going to submit to you today that I think most people are not a real version of themselves. They are instead a paper copy of themselves put forward. And I think we do this in all kinds of ways. Some people do it with masks. But I, do, I think most of us are, are, are not real versions of ourselves. And let me just kind of unpack a few ways I think that this happens. One way is with masks. There's a real us underneath, but, but there's something about that real us that makes us uncomfortable when others are around. So what do we do? We cover it. We mask it, right? Here's the thing. Most of us are like sixth grade versions of ourselves. Have you ever been around sixth graders? Mad as snakes. Drama-filled, insecure, gossipy, nasty human beings that are all about trying to mask or change or figure out the real them. And it just comes out so poorly. My, both of my daughters did this thing. Maybe yours did too. Girls on the Run. Are you familiar with this program? Phenomenal program. It targets third, fourth, and fifth graders. And what it anchors around is girls like doing this 5K race together and then talking about it, training together, building together. And it's all about, well, like building self-esteem. But really what it's about is getting them to run away somewhere. Because why do they target it at third to fifth grade? Because when they hit sixth, all hope is lost, Right? They become nasty human beings, so how do we try to head it off at the past? I'm going to submit to you that most of us, though growing physically beyond sixth grade, sometimes don't grow beyond it emotionally. Personally, there is still a sixth grade version of ourselves that seeks to take over from what Jesus calls us 
to be. And what Jesus does is he calls us to be a more authentic version of ourselves. From the less real to the more real. From the less authentic to the more authentic. From behind the mask and the cover to who we actually are designed by God. And all his wonder and all his wisdom. And all our uniqueness of who he called us to be. But I think it scares most of us to death. And it can be so much easier to stay in sixth grade. Guys, have you seen the show, uh, the Netflix show, Stranger Things? Anyone here? Um, I thought that was going to be the response, and I just want to let you know, I still love you anyway. Okay? But it's like most of us choose to live in the upside down. We continue this existence in the upside down version of ourselves. And what God calls us into is back to the true reality. Now, this happens in all sorts of ways. And I just kind of want to paint some scenarios here today, things that I've seen, by no means exhaustive. But maybe some things that you struggle with, some ways that you fall into the upside down or less real version of yourselves. One, one big way I see this happen is this. It's called the dodge. Are you familiar with this tactic? The dodge? See, as human beings, we're, we're inevitably going to bug each other at some point. We're going to offend each other. We're going to get in each other's way. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going we're gonna to hurt each other. There's no getting around this. You know, sometimes it's intentional, but what I found more often is that it's unintentional, and the person who's rubbed us the wrong way or have done something to bother us or hurt us or offend us is completely oblivious and clueless to it. And we don't know. So what do we do? We dodge. These emotions start to well up. We don't know what to do with them. We dodge. We don't go near them. We don't talk to them. We start constructing fake versions of their motivations in our mind, right? This is why they had to do it. And then those motivations start translating into their character because this is the kind of person they must be. And the mental energy that's exuded in this kind of thing, it can be staggering. For those of you who have perfected the dodge, you know what I mean. It's this life that chooses to live in a fabricated version of reality in our minds rather than seeking out what reality might actually possibly be. I love what Jesus says. Look what he writes to some of his disciples or or, or speaks to some of his disciples. He writes, uh, it's, it's written as this. If you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift. Leave. Leave it there in front of the altar. First, go. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. What would happen in the Christian church if Christians near and wide just chose to follow this verse and this verse alone? There's churches that are filled every given Sunday with people who have perfected the dodge. 
And if this is speaking to you today, I want to tell you, as soon as this service is done, as soon as we're out, go. Leave. Pick up your phone. Send the email. Send the text. Make the call. Have the conversation. Go up. Hey, look, I I just got to ask you, is there something between us? Because I'm feeling a weird vibe. Are, Are we okay Do you know how cathartic a moment like that can be? Nine times out of ten that I've seen people do it. The other person's caught dumbfounded going, oh man, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. Geez, I'm I'm sorry. It's like, yeah, I bet you're sorry. I've been walking around eight and a half months thinking you're this, right? I actually had an amazing woman do this with me here at FOF just a couple weeks ago. Sent me a little email going, hey, I don't know if I'm kind of conjuring this, but I feel like there's some distance between us. I was clueless. Maybe I blew her off one Sunday because I had other things on my mind. Maybe maybe she constructed something based on other, who knows? But you know, she had the guts to ask. And you know what's so cool about it? We don't have to dodge anymore. The air's clear. There's something real again instead of the fabrication that we thought it to be. Jesus invites us into something real, doesn't he? Or how about uh, this one? The good face. Do you know the good face? These are the kind of people who are smiling at you. And behind those teeth, I'm going to rip out your jugular. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Except they're not going to do it to your face. It's when you turn your back and they're going to go like sixth grade girls to everyone you know and everyone they know talking about you. And I find a lot of Christians struggle with this because sometimes when people hurt us, it is intentional, isn't it? And we tried to make it right, haven't we? And it's just met with like, nothing. Have you ever apologized to someone in a kind of a way to clear the air? They've hurt you and you're going and trying to meet them on middle ground and you go, I'm sorry. And they go, thank you. I'm going to rip out your jugular, right? Have you ever struggled with that? I have. I have. And you know, as a Christian that you're supposed to forgive, but you can't. You try, you, 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 God, help me. I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, but, but, but the anger, it starts to galvanize. It starts to harden, right? Bitterness starts, it starts to sap so much of your mental strength and energy. It starts to become a part of you. The good face is a dangerous thing. And so we go around putting on the good face with the people. When we see them face to face, we're like, well, the Christian thing is, and we smile and we shake their hand because Jesus calls us to love each other all the while seething deep, deep down inside because we are afraid to get real with what we're actually feeling. We're afraid of what we're actually feeling. How can that be me? I'm a follower of Jesus. How can that be Me. I want to read you a psalm this morning. It comes out of Israel's prayer book. This is Psalm 69. I think for some of you, it is soon to become your favorite. Listen to how 
the ancient community of Israel would pray together and sing together. Imagine this like put to worship music and singing this on Sunday morning, all right? But do more than that. Imagine it as your own personal prayer. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy. Turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my enemies. You know how I'm scorned. You know how I'm disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food. Do you know what gall is? It's worse than ketchup and mayo combined. And gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. Okay, imagine like singing this to the lyrics of Shout to the Lord or something like that, all right? May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you are. And they talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them, O God, with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out from the book of life. For I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. Could you pray that? I call it the untouchables prayer, you know? I want them dead. I want their family dead. I want their house burned to the ground and shoot their dog, right? Can you pray like that? If the answer is no, can I ask you, why not? You think God doesn't know? Why not? Do you think he doesn't know what you're feeling? See, these kinds of passages have bothered so many people. And caused such stumbling blocks for them between them and God and them and the Bible. I gotta tell you, it's always had the opposite effect for me. It's always drawn me closer because I see a book that is so brutally honest about the human condition. And I see Christians walking around, putting on the good face, afraid to deal with what they're actually feeling inside because if they admit it, they're afraid of what that might mean. And so they continue to seethe and burn and brood, and the bitterness continues to to galvanize the heart. And ancient Israel knew something. Let it out. I'm not saying go up to the person and like recite Psalm 69 to them, all right? But when you're there with God dealing with what's in your heart, let it out. You tell God, I want him dead. Because you do. I want him blotted out of the book of life. Do you want to spend eternity with them in heaven? Yeah, you know who you're rooming with, right? Let it out. Because at least it's real. At least for a change, it's honest. At least for a way, it's in truth. Jesus did not come to say, I am the way, the mask, and the life. 
Because it's only after you go through that door that you can start to pray things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's only after you go through that door and get real with what you're feeling that you can start to, to, to say, God, I'm so angry at them, but forgive them because they're a sinner just like me. Jesus invites us into something real. And the good face, it's not real. Or here's another, how about this one? The chameleon. Ooh, people master this one. You know the chameleon? What does a chameleon do? A chameleon seeks to blend in with its surroundings so bigger things won't eat it. I see so many people with such unique talent and gift and wonderful personality made in the image of God to be who they are, who are so afraid of themselves or getting eaten by the bigger things around them because of their uniqueness that they just try to blend in, hide. When, when people nod, you're watching the sidelines, I'll nod too. When someone asks, do you, do you have a question? Do you understand this? And no one else asks, I'm not going to ask. It's the people who spend their lives trying to conform instead of celebrating who God made them to be. Are you a chameleon here today? By the way, I would have thought it would have been phenomenal if you raised your hand on that. You know, like way to go, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm a chameleon. I just need to blend in, right? Are you here today? I think of this passage that Paul writes to, a, to an early church. I think they were struggling with some of the same thing. Check this out. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. See, you're the parts of the body and the metaphor here. And those that seem to be weaker, embarrassing, weird. You ever see a pancreas? It's weird. You ever see someone get their tonsils out? It's weird looking. Some of you are weird. Embrace it. Because those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, God says you are indispensable. You are valuable. You are needed. You are important. Stop trying to blend in. Because I've given you a heart, and I've given you a voice, and I've given you a talent, and I've given you a personality, and it needs to shine. Come out of the less real version that you are trying to make and come into who you actually are. Or how about this? The magician. Do you know the magician? Some of us have mastered this one too. Do you, know, do you know what a magician basically excels in? Smoke and mirrors. Flashy lights and pretty scantily dressed girls to divert your attention from what's really going on. Every day, in churches and schools and families and on social media and everything else. 
people are putting forward a version of themselves that's smoke and mirrors to what's really going on. Deep down, they're struggling. They're struggling and maybe they're losing. Or maybe they've lost. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're losing. Maybe you've lost. But see, that just isn't okay to say. So you put up a smoke and mirror front of some socially acceptable sin. So you don't look too perfect. You don't want to act like you have it all together because that draws suspicion. You put up some socially acceptable sins to mask the deeper, ugly stuff that you're really actually dealing with. I think what, 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 what the, the Apostle John says when he goes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And how many of us are putting forward this deceptive front because we're afraid to admit or let be seen the sin that we actually deal with? Can, can I just like tell you here, can we just kind of clear the deck right now? If you sin, you're normal. I know you don't believe that, but do you, do you act, can, can you come to terms with that? That what you're dealing with is not unique? That what you're dealing with, other people struggle with too? And all these people walk around afraid to admit And so nothing ever changes, nothing ever gets better because churches and and families and relationships where we're supposed to get that help just become about the show. Keep up the show, keep up appearances, keep the cookie cutter cardboard cut out of me there with the smiling faces as we're breaking and rotting underneath. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. Are you broken underneath here today? Stop being a magician. God invites you into something real. He invites you into something real. And what church needs to be a place is where real people can come with real brokenness and real struggles. Do you realize that whatever sin you're dealing with, Jesus dealt with too? You ever like actually think about this to its full ramifications? He was tempted in every way as we were. He knew what it was to be enticed and want everything that draws our hearts. He knew what it was like to feel the pressure. He knew what it was like to be at those crossroads going, I want this, but God wants that. He knew it intimately, guys. He knew it. What is it? Your violence, your addiction, your pornography. What is it? Jesus gets it. You don't need to hide from him behind smoke and mirrors. And you know what? If the church is going to be the church and is worth keeping its doors open, you don't need to hide it here either. And if you do, let's stop fooling around and just shut the doors right now. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Not the way, the mask, and the diversion. I can go on. There's so many more other examples I could give, but you're getting the gist. What's valuable to Jesus is truth. Honesty, authenticity. 
He draws us out of less real versions and invites us to be a more genuine human being. That when we follow Jesus in his way, we don't become less of who we are, we become more of who God always made us to be. Jason and I, last week, we were at uh, Willow Creek's um, Global Leadership Summit. Just a phenomenal event. It's two days of just leaders, business world and church world that, that meet together and hear about God's call and leadership and, and, and things from, from a variety of perspectives. John Maxwell was there. Some of you may have read him. Great guy. And he said something that struck me as I was thinking about today, something that I want to share with you. To me, it kind of answers the question of why. Why does God invite us to this thing called real? I mean, we know he's the truth, so we know truth's got to reign, but why? Why at a more deeply personal level does he invite us into the real, out of the upside down and into the better reality he offers? And here it is. Listen to this. Here it is. Because God values people. Why does God value that which is real and genuine? Guys, listen to this. It is because God values people. It's because God values you. The way he phrased it got me thinking. He said, it's the essence of the four Gospels. And if you think about it, think, think about this. From, from, from Matthew 1 to John 22, what do you see? That Jesus values people. That any of the people in these stories could say this. It could be, it could be the Samaritan. It says, Jesus values me. It's the Roman soldier working in occupied country, hated by the people who are indigenous, who comes to the place of realizing Jesus values me. It's that Syrophoenician immigrant refugee who's sick and bleeding, who realizes Jesus values me. It's the Pharisee who says, Jesus values me. It's the thief on the cross who who realizes Jesus values me. It's... The children. Jesus values me. Can you say that with me today? Because I think some of you need to hear it on your own lips. Just say this, Jesus values me. Say it again. Would you say it again? Let's get it weird now, all right? Let's make this so awkward and so weird. Look at someone next to you. Yeah, I know. That's just like too much, right? Just, I can't do it. Look them in the eye, especially if you like them, you think they're hot, you want to ask them out. Just look at them deep right now. This is your moment, all right? Just say Jesus values you. Wasn't that just like hell right there? Wasn't that just like, oh my gosh. Doesn't it reveal something? How hard it is to be vulnerable and real about what we think 
about what we believe to have an actual intimate moment with another human being, isn't it so much easier in the mask, in the upside down? But isn't there something so much better on the other side? Can you say this with me? You don't have to look at people on this one, all right? Jesus values people I don't know. How about this one? Jesus values people I don't like. You had to think on that one for a moment, didn't you? Isn't that revealing? Why does he call us to be real? It's because he values you. It's because he values people. And when we're less than real, we devalue ourselves. We devalue other people. And we ultimately devalue God. I hope that this hill to die on is more than just words. I pray that you come into the real and out of the upside down. I pray that you discover what it means that Jesus is the way and true and in that find that life. Band's going to come forward. All this series, we've been praying this, this amazing passage out of Acts 2. For me, it served as a, um, as a reminder and as a, a recommitment to devote myself to that which God is devoted to.